morning we are uh, going to continue in our study of Exodus and we're going to look at generosity this morning. Now, this is going to be in reference to Exodus chapters 35 and 36. We're not going to read anything from 35 and 36 just yet. But this is where, if you read it just on the surface level, it kind of feels a little repetitive because you start seeing some instructions again for uh, the tabernacle, which God has already kind of given those instructions to Moses. But now we're seeing in these two chapters where he is calling the people uh, to give in an offering basically now we've already done our offering time all right we are not going to bar the doors until you know you give a certain amount all right we're not in a big pledge drive right now we're not going to k-love you with our fall pledge drive all right yeah 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 anybody who's ever yeah you know what i'm talking about this is not big some big capital fundraising campaign so just you can exhale all right uh, but we're going to look at what biblical generosity is. And this is what, when you, when you approach Scripture from an expository nature, it will lead you into some things, right? Like, and this, the text now is leading us in the book of Exodus to look at generosity, look at giving. And we're going to take kind of a two-part approach to this. We're going to talk about it this week. We're also going to talk about it next Sunday. With that being said, I'm fully aware that you will most likely walk away from this message this morning with some questions. There, there's going to be some things that we're going to leave open, and I'm not necessarily going to answer or maybe not even address this week. But walk away from this morning with the understanding that we will tie those together next week. And actually, this morning, we're not even going to talk really about giving at all we're not going to look at anything that we give just yet although we see that in these passages that's going to be next week because i think that whenever we've all heard messages about giving about tithing about giving of offerings about being generous there's some things and some scripture and themes that come to mind pretty quickly but one of the things I don't know if we do really well is kind of address some of the underlying questions that we have about being a people that are marked by generosity. You know, because whenever we start talking about tithing, offering, then all of a sudden the questions arise like, okay, so are we talking about tithing on the gross or the net? And what about income taxes? Do we tithe off that also if we've already tithed? The okay, so is anything above, is that considered an offering? Well, it doesn't have to be money to be considered. You see, the waters can get a little bit muddied whenever we start looking at these things, can't they? And sometimes in trying to answer those, which as noble as it can be, we can tend to not see the base foundational purpose and what we're called to do from a generosity standpoint in Scripture. So we're going to look. I'm going to make my type A personality people in here really happy this morning. Okay, I'm going to take your anxiety and I'm going to go calm, calm. Because I'm going to tell you we're going to look at three questions this morning. Because there's a problem that we have when we talk about generosity. And we'll get to that here in just a second. But the first question that we're going to look at is what does God need? The second question 
is what does God want? What does he desire from us? And then how does this happen? Right? So the type A'ers in here, you've got my three points. You've got the three questions. The only thing that could have helped you out even more is if I would have given you the complete outline or the complete manuscript. Right? Who's my type A'ers in here? Yeah, we, we got a few. There were some of you that didn't raise your hands, and I know who you are because I'm one too. <laughs> so let's look at this. There's, there's a problem, isn't there, kind of on the surface when we talk about giving? Like, what does God need? What does God need? Right, nothing. God needs nothing. And we can look at Psalm chapter 50 or... Yeah, let's go with Psalm 5012. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. That's God speaking there. Like God's even making this statement of like, if I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you because everything's mine. I will let you know, I promise you one thing, I will let you know if I'm hungry. And I've held this in ever since our church picnic. Some of you know where I'm about to go. This is going to be therapeutic for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to feel good. Do you know what did not show up at all at the church picnic? Say it louder. A sweet potato casserole. Y'all, I preached like three sermons on the importance of church picnic having a sweet potato casserole. But I'm fine, really. I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I don't hold a grudge at all. But this is God stating that, listen, even if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you because I, everything's mine. The world is mine and everything in it. And then if we go to 1 Chronicles, this next passage of Scripture, Verse 14 out of chapter 29 says, But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Actually, if you don't mind, let that scripture just kind of hang out there on the, on the screens there for just a little bit. Because if we go and you read Exodus 35 and 36, what God is calling them to do is he's saying, okay, I want you to tell the people that it's time to collect an offering for those whose heart and spirit rise up within them and, and inspire them to give. I want them to give. I want them to give of fine linens. I want them to give of precious stones. I want them to give of their money. I want them to give of their valuables. I want them to give of their gifts. I want them to give of their talents. I want them to give this monetary offering so that we can make this tabernacle a reality. So God's asking for all of these wonderful things that the people have. Let me ask you a question. Where did the Israelites get all of this stuff to begin with? Because they were just, just freed from 400 years of bondage, right? 
That's what we learned at the beginning of the study. They were slaves. They didn't own anything. They didn't have any possessions. They, they, nothing was theirs. But now all of a sudden, we're at the base of Sinai, and God's calling for an offering. And he's like, give me this, this valuable linen, all of these materials, this gold, this silver, this jewelry, these precious stones. Those are yours. Now give them to me. Where did they get them? They got them from Egypt. Because God told them before they left, said, go and plunder you see, everything they had, God had already given it to them. So God was asking them at that point, I need you to give back some of what I've given you. And that's the base, that's the foundation of biblical generosity. Us realizing that what we are giving back to God is what He has already given us to begin with. Now, let, let's, not, let's not act like it's only Christians that can be generous. Right? I mean, anyone can be generous. There are a lot of people who do not believe in Jesus who are crazy generous with their money, with their time, with everything but when we look at biblical generosity we look at it from a different perspective or at least we should what we're giving to God we don't view as well this is mine this is what I've earned I mean that's the temptation right that's the struggle sometimes but we view it as God has given me this God has provided me this. It's through His grace that I have this, and now I'm giving back to the Lord. I'm giving into His kingdom. Out of the abundance of things that He has given me, out of the grace that He has extended to me, I am going to give back for His kingdom, for His glory, and for the world's good. And we give so that it makes a difference in people's lives we talked about last week that Moses would not leave the presence of God because it's his presence that distinguished them from everyone else on the earth it's not what we give that distinguishes us it's why we give it it's why we invest with our finances it's why we invest with our time it's why we invest with our energy it's what we want to see happen and that is Jesus glorified that is to see the lost come to him that is to see the hurting comforted the grieving embraced we want to see the less fortunate with their needs to be met Biblical generosity is different from the world because of the motive and the reason that we're generous. So that establishes, that's the problem, right? Is that God needs nothing. He needs nothing. So the second question has to be answered after that. What does God want? What does God desire? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, so it's going to be a little different than what I normally read from. 
But what God desires out of us is our obedience. God desires our obedience. What He commands us to do. What He's instructed us to do. What we find in His Word for us to do. That's what He wants. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11 says this. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Now this passage, we're going to pick this apart just a little bit, and we're going to look because the psalmist here tells us of some pretty amazing things about being obedient to Christ. About following the commands of God, about living by the Word of God, we find some pretty amazing things. And a couple weeks ago, Thomas talked to us about the Ten Commandments. And we looked at it maybe from a little bit of a different perspective than what we normally would look at it. And we looked at it instead of a list of rules and regulations, we looked at it as God maybe providing some insight, giving some instructions, giving some commandments for us to obey as to how to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Because God desires our obedience and our relationship with Him. Because He knows that disobedience causes distance in our relationship. Because sin, which is disobedience, cannot be in the presence of God. So God is, instead of viewing this as giving us rules and a list of do's, don'ts, can's, can'ts, should, shouldn'ts, all of that, we should look at these as like God is giving us insight into how to grow and draw closer to Him. Because we learned last week that it is all about God's presence in our lives. Amen? It is all about God's presence in our lives. Listen, if God's presence isn't in it, then we should have no interest in it. Oof, right? If His presence isn't in it, then we shouldn't have any interest in it. That's, that's the lesson we learned from Moses. God was like, listen, these people, I'm going to keep my promises. Man, they can have all the stuff. But I'm not going with you. You, you can keep the promised land. Most like, no, oh, wait a minute, uh-uh, I ain't about that. God's like, hey, listen, I'll send an angel with you. Most like, no, 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 it's your presence. Listen, they wanted all of that stuff, 
right? They wanted the promised land. They wanted all of the benefits of that. But when it came down to it, they use, they use the terminology that we get disastrous from. It's like, listen, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, that's going to be disastrous. And I wonder how many areas of our lives that we walk into day in, day out, where we do not recognize that it's disastrous because we may not be taking the presence of God with us. He may not be going. And that's how we have to view this obedience. It's not about God lording over our lives, some kind of puppet on a string, some kind of pawn on a chessboard. It's about God going, I want to be so close to you. I want you to be in my presence, and I'm trying to help you get there. Trying to show you how to do that. And in this passage, here's what we see. We see that his instructions are perfect. And the result of that is that they revive our soul. We see that his decrees are trustworthy. That makes wise the simple. We see that the commandments of the Lord are right, and they bring joy to our hearts. The commands are clear, giving us insight for how to live. They are pure, and they last forever. His law is true, and each one is fair. His law, his commands, his instructions are more desirable than even the finest gold, and they're sweeter than even the honey that's dripping from the honeycomb. And in it, there is a great reward for those who obey them. It's not a desire to micromanage, it's not a desire to lord over every little aspect of your life because God is on some egotistical trip that he needs to have his ego stroked. This is about God's presence and him wanting us to dwell with him. And we see that. We see his desire so clearly when we see Jesus Christ come. We see his desire to dwell with us. We see that passion, that longing, that yearning that God has to dwell with his creation, his people, so much that we've proven that we can't, we can't sustain it on our own. We can't do it on our own. No matter how many suggestions he gives, and like, listen, these aren't even hints anymore. Right? Wives, let me, let me just ask you this. How many of your, if you're in here, you're married, and, and wives, how many of your husbands are good at taking hints? <laughs> yeah. Listen, we've even got some husbands trying to get their wives to point at them, and they're like, these aren't even hints that God's given. He's going like, this is what you do. This is it. Do this. Going back to the type A's, here's your checklist. Here's your to-do list. And we're like, I don't know about that. And God was like, okay. Now I go to them. Now I go to them. And we celebrate our Savior coming because He so desires 
our obedience. He so desires us to be with him that he gave his only begotten son. So what does God need? Absolutely nothing. What does God desire? He wants our obedience. He wants us following him. He wants us living for him. So how do we go about that? How, do, how does this happen? It's our last question that we're going to talk about here. It's like, how do, how do we do this? How does this happen? Help me! We're going to look at some New Testament scripture here. Okay, And I'm going to let the scripture answer the question of how does this happen? And the first one is going to be the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14, verse 15. This is Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. How, how, do, how do we do this? How does this happen? If you love Jesus, keep his commandments. Keep his instructions. Do what he's told you to do. Because he's not hidden it. It's not like we have to go on some big seek and find to find it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And just a, a chapter over, John 13, 15. Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. So Jesus tells us, it's like, not only am I going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to show you what to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then, I've given you an example to follow. For all of you visual learners out there, I've given you a visual. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. And then if you'll go to 1 John chapter 5, towards the end here, towards the end of the book, 1 John chapter 5, reading verses 2 and 3, says, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. And the last one I want to draw your attention to is Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to read verse, I'm going to start with verse 36. This is Jesus speaking again. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So the foundation of biblical generosity is not found in anything monetary. Now, is that part of it? Absolutely it is, and we'll look at that next week. 
But the foundation of true biblical generosity is giving God what He desires. Is giving God what He wants. And that is your obedience. And your love. And keeping His commandments. And following the example that He shows you. It's in loving one another. It's in loving your neighbor as yourself. It's as seeing the people who need love and grace and mercy and help extended to them. They, that's when they see that. That is the foundation of biblical generosity is giving God what He desires. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. And I do just want to address this very quickly. How many of you have ever felt like you are disqualified from being able to give God what He wants just because of how short we fall? Like how many times did I mess up? How many times I've sinned? How many times, you know? I, if you feel that and if you fight that, which I promise you, you do, I would encourage you to go read Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Because there is no sin that the grace of God via the cross of Calvary cannot overcome, cannot cover. For His love covers a multitude of sins.